0: Jonathan Stark wrote an amazing book about hourly billing is nuts. And he's got an amazing mailing list called Ditching Hourly and a podcast on Ditching Hourly as well. And I absolutely love what he's talking about. I felt that same pain living in a world where you're masked as an hourly employee rather than using your mind to do the job that you're brought in to do, you're counted as, you know, using your hands. And and that's ever ever since it has stuck with me. So Jonathan, thanks so much for taking the time coming out to the podcast.
1: Hey, my pleasure. I
0: appreciate the opportunity to spread the message. Yes, absolutely. So one thing that I am extremely passionate about and we talk about on the podcast is we look for the journeys and the stories and how how my guests and how I am getting to the point where I want to go like what's the journey so how did you come to like come to this realization that you know this hourly rate or you know this whole thing is just a charade or a, you know how did you come to that point and what's your story?
1: Sure yeah sort of a group hallucination. <laughs> um, well there's a, there were a number of factors Uh, they contributed to it and then there was one particular event that really was an epiphany for me really turned on the light bulb and what happened was I I was uh, working internally as a uh, software developer at a big corporation Mm -hmm. I became dissatisfied there and went to work at a, a solo firm like a dev shop
2: yeah
1: and I was just a junior developer, worked my way up over the course of years and ended up being the VP of this small firm, which meant that I was in charge of, I I did less billable work. I did still billable work, but less billable work. Mm -hmm. We all built by the hour. We all built out at the same rate. And uh, when I sort of moved into management, it was my responsibility to estimate new projects, you know, create hourly estimates. I would... Uh, I even built systems to track hours. I would chase the developers to get their hours in every week. I would make sure that invoices were going out with our timesheets and all the hours. And then I would, you know, argue with clients over yeah. how long stuff was supposed to take and hours, 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 hours. Yeah. And that so that was sort of the context. I was aware of that, but never once did I question the concept of billing by the hour as a software developer or a dev shop or or anything, you know, yeah. it—it's it, just the way everybody does it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Never occurred to me that you would not do it. It was just the—the the big question if you were going to go solo really was like, well, what should my rate be? Mm-hmm. So with that as the context, I, I became less and less satisfied with the experience of hours. So I, I was just like, I was—I loved everybody I worked with. It was a great company, but I was not enjoying the fact that all I really did was think about hours. Yeah. And then at a certain point, it occurred to me that our best developer we were probably losing money on because he got paid the most amount of money mm-hmm. and he worked so quickly and so efficiently and so sort of cleanly or well like the the work that he was putting out didn't need to be debugged or fixed later he just like build stuff right really fast the first time yeah so he was he was making us little or no money when it comes right down to it yeah and we had a junior developer who was really almost more of an intern that had a r- really nice personality, really great guy. Kept his clients super happy, but he took forever to do stuff. It was always broken, then he would come and fix it. But he, you know, he kept everybody happy,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and he got paid like half of what our best developer did. Yeah. But you know, but he was making way more money. On these, <laughs> it was it. It didn't. Uh, it sort of offended my sensibilities. You know, and oh. you can you can sort of imagine why I felt like Jesus, like. Wouldn't we want to have amazing developers? Like, wouldn't wouldn't I be happy? Wouldn't I try and go out and hire amazing developers? But then if I do, we're going to be making less money. So why would I, why would I bother? Why not just hire a bunch of really nice people who are terrible at development, have really slow machines, yeah. don't really know fast ways to do things, and write bad code that needs to be fixed a lot? <laughs> you know, you don't want to do that. You know, it, yeah. it just didn't make sense. And so here's the crazy thing about it for me was it took me probably a solid two weeks to even of like, of like thinking about this all the time. Like, how is this possible? This can't be possible for two weeks. It never occurred to me that the problem was hourly billing. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I thought that, you know, cause I kept thinking, man, if we could bill out the, if we just, if we could just, um, bill out our best developer, like for a fixed price and just get like, you know you know, whatever, $50,000 for this project.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Then all of a sudden everything falls into place. If yeah. if I, so I'm, I'm the one doing the estimates. If we, instead of doing an estimate, we said, well, this project's going to be $50,000 immediately. I would want it to give it to give it to our best developer instead mm-hmm. of this intern, because poof, he could blast through this thing in two days versus two months.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: All of a sudden we get $10,000 a day for, you know, this person's uh, contribution. Now, all of a sudden I was like, Oh, well, it's like, like, I feel like when I lay it out like that, it's obvious that that's what you should do. Yeah. And the, the tricky thing for people is, well, but, but I'm afraid I'll get killed. I'm afraid I'll set the price too low and yeah. it'll, it won't it will take two days. It'll take two years mm-hmm. and I'll basically be a, you know, indentured servant to this client until the end of time. Yeah.
0: That's, that's, wow. <laughs> that's really crazy. <laughs> Yeah. and it's true i mean i i mean I'm, I'm not a developer but i do design work mm-hmm. and yeah it makes sense like cuz half the time i'm done with my work and now i i'm either doing other things but then again right as a consulting firm like well you're not doing anything why are we paying you but i'm done with my work so that's that's really interesting wow yeah
1: yeah, it's and it, it creates a whole new set of problems. Mm-hmm. but w- the the beauty of it is there's many, many positive aspects to it. Oh, but yeah. my favorite, and the thing that really drove me was that it makes it a lot easier to make really happy clients. You can yeah. really partner with the clients. You can really deliver customer satisfaction because now it's it's uh, everybody's financial interests are aligned in the same way. So, like, if if I finish faster, you know, say it's a software project or a design project, maybe you're going to do like a, you know, a rebrand or you're going to uh, redesign a logo or whatever it is. You're going to yeah. redo a website. Yeah. Whatever the thing is, there's no case where the client wants it to take longer. I've never come across a case where the client was like, you know, I wish you could take longer on this. <laughs> even if it was the same price, even if they were paying $10,000 for a rebrand, you know, whatever, a logo I'll redesign. Let's say they're gonna give you ten thousand dollars for a logo redesign and you're like well i can give that to you in uh, one day or i can give it to you in two years <laughs> yeah. which would you rather have even if it was, it was is- the same price they're gonna pick one day
0: yeah they can pick one day they're like mm-hmm. as soon as possible right yeah, yeah as
1: soon as possible they want it yesterday if you could yes. I built a, a magic wand that pumps out beautiful effective logos mm-hmm. that are Exactly what you need. It took me. It took me thirty years to build this magic wand, but now I can. I can just pop a logo out, yeah. boom, just like that. That's going to blow your minds. Yeah, and if you could do that, what would it be worth? Well, it'd be worth more than if it took you six months to do that logo. Yeah. So you should yeah. get paid more. For, exactly. It's like FedEx. It's more for overnight service, not less.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true, because because now you're paying for convenience more than anything else
1: yeah and in the business case in a business-to-business context which is you know what most freelancers and consultants and dev shops they're you know in agencies they're it's all b2b mm-hmm. um, there's just there's opportunity cost. like the the client does not want a project to take forever even yeah. if it doesn't cost them more money it costs them in you know, all of the resources that they have you know their employees are devoted to their piece of the project. You know, they're providing assets or you're interviewing them or you are asking them about business logic. Yeah. You want that over with those people have other jobs to do. They don't want to be bugged by some outside, you know, party asking them for assets or asking them for business information or business mm-hmm. logic uh, or logins to systems. It's like, you know, it's, it'd be much, much cheaper in terms of overall resource allocation to have any project happen fast.
2: Yeah.
0: No, absolutely right. Um, Get it done fast. Get it done accurately so there's no bugs. Mm -hmm. The the client will come back like, hey, you're done with that project. Let's do another one Mm -hmm. because we trust you. And it's worth our money even if we have to pay more money because we're saving time because time is something they're not getting back.
1: Non-renewable resource.
0: Yep. Unrenewable. Yep. Very cool. So I've been listening to the Business of Authority uh, podcast as well, and and there's a lot of cool topics that are helping me align what I'm doing with my stuff and what I want to be, you know, in the next few years. And um, it's been it's been great help. So, like, how did you meet, make that connection, or how did you meet with um, Rochelle? Rochelle, Yeah, yeah, and um, create that collaboration.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So. Uh, there's a sort of little serendipity involved, but I think it's the kind of thing where uh, opportunity comes knocking when you, you you sort of increase your luck surface area by doing certain things mm-hmm. and increase the odds of serendipity. So that the podcast you're talking about, The Business of Authority, uh, I co-host with Rochelle Moulton mm-hmm. and she's a branding expert. Uh, she helps sort of people like authorities, like people who have written books and professors, doctors, that sort of thing, mm-hmm. sort of build a personal brand, create a business around it and kind of fund their mission to increase the, their impact. And she's been doing it for a long time. Uh, she's very experienced in this space. She has something, she has like hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. Yeah. And uh, I came, I don't remember exactly how I came across her. Someone probably shared a link to one of her articles with me because She's very much of the the same mind. She she grew up in a big consulting firm and she she gets consulting. She understands all that. She understands the importance of positioning and branding and all of those things that are, they're things I talk about because you have to do those things to, to uh, value price well, to deliver more value and be able to increase your prices. You need to be good at those things because you need to be differentiated from the, the, you know, the crab bucket of mm-hmm. freelancers out there. So somehow she, and she wrote, she's an active blogger and she's got tons of blog posts that I just totally agree with. But it's funny because she's like a branding person. I was at the time a software developer. It seems like two very different things but she had sort of stumbled across all the same ideas, but from a different angle. So it made them fresh to me and I just really liked her writing. So I started tweeting her stuff out on a regular basis. I you know, follow her blog, tweet her stuff out. And so she, she's that caught her notice. She pays attention to like retweets and that sort of thing Mm
2: -hmm.
1: mentions. And she's, she started to kind of research me a little bit and she was like, who is this dude? And and so now credit to her, she was like, we should just jump on a phone call and like, just like get to know each other a little bit. Yeah. And at that time I was already planning to create a podcast, And I already knew what I wanted to call it. I'm pretty, well, I think, I can't remember, honestly. Mm -hmm. I think I already had the name. at least an idea for the name. And I definitely had an idea for what the show was going to be about. Yeah. And I said, okay, I definitely know what this, I want to start a new podcast that's about this specific thing. So basically going from consultant to authority. Mm -hmm. So going, you know, taking that next leap up. So I I see, this is a long answer to your question, but I see these sort of stages of, soloist, where you sort of start out as a freelancer and you do freelancer type things, you get certain accomplishments that freelancers do. Mm. And then some people will move into um, sort of graduate to a level of consulting yeah. where they act more like a consultant. It's not exactly the same thing. You, you, it's, it, it's not the same thing at, almost at all. There are lots of changes that you make uh, because you're operating in an advisory way instead of a, a sort of labor sort yeah. of way. And the next level up from that, the kind of advanced, the kind of black belt level is authority. And there you get people like uh, Seth Godin, Dan Pink, and people like that who become authority, author, that's where the word, you know, the same mm-hmm. word, where they're primarily an author, teacher, sort of missionary around a big idea or a mission or something like that. And and then they're building a business around that. And you can think of a million of those, but it's like, yeah. how do you get there? So the the whole podcast was around um, exploring the, the activities that would help you transition from being a consultant into being an authority and then creating a business around it. Yeah. So all of that was, I, I was going to do that. Like I was already planning on doing that.
2: Yeah.
1: And then we had this phone call and I was like, Oh man, I was nervous too. It was like asking <laughs> someone to go on a date. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I, we got off the phone. We totally hit it off on the phone call. Yeah. Just really jamming. And then we got off the phone call and I was like, I wonder if she want to co-host this with me because I I have a solo podcast called Ditching Hourly and it's actually yeah. hard to do a solo podcast.
0: Oh my god, it's so hard. Yeah,
1: it's it's hard. So I was like, you know, this would be really fun to have a co-host to make the make the whole thing way easier. Mm-hmm. And I already know I like I love the way she thinks. Her whole thing is great. So I asked her, and, and she jumped at it. She said, "Yeah, absolutely, let's do it." And she'd never done a podcast before. She was nice. really interested in learning how that worked. She's fairly technical, but not super technical. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of, you know, it's a lot of moving parts to a podcast. It's oh, not yeah. how to do it?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so
1: that's how that came together.
0: That's really cool, man. It's it's those. So I don't know what to say, but because <laughs> I've had similar experiences when I'm talking to someone, I'm like, hey, what if he did a podcast about this this topic? And you know, other people people I'm talking to like we're we're thinking of creating two different podcasts and it's like you're you're just on the same frequency when you're talking to these people when you talk when you meet somebody who's who's talking about the same thing that you're talking about but from a different angle it's like wow I found my twin yeah. almost kind of right See
1: right? It. Yeah, it's great. And it's, it's wild, because I'll keep I over the years, I kind of keep coming across them. It's, there's not tons. Mm-hmm. But I do slowly come across people who've come up from a different, different. It's, it's almost if you picture like a mountain, mm-hmm. and all these people are sort of encircling the base yeah. of the mountain, and they can't see each other, they're too far away. But they're all climbing up to the same peak. Yes. And as we get closer to sort of the the top of the mountain, you start to see these other people and they yeah. have a completely different experience of the journey, but they're all going to the same place.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, Blair Enns was like that for me, Chris Doe, Rochelle Moulton, you know, Rochelle from Business of Authority. And, you know, the different ones I've kind of encountered over the years, uh, David A. Fields is another one. Mm-hmm. And we all have very different backgrounds, but we're all in a similar place on the same, uh, similar place, all going to the same destination. And it's, yeah, it's, wild when that happens makes me feel like makes me feel like there's actually probably there's probably something there you know
0: no absolutely because so i got introduced to gary vaynerchuk a few years ago and i was of following his reading his book and then i like left it busy with work and whatnot but then i came back to it and i listened to the whole thing through and i heard about crushing it and crushing it is you know they're talking about like all these people that are doing the similar thing, just like you mentioned, you know, we're all going up to the same mountain, Mm -hmm. but then they, like, as you come towards the top, you start noticing other people Mm
2: -hmm. that are
0: getting to the same point. And there's a lot of stories like that in crushing it. And I was like, wow, these people, they just kept on doing and kept on doing it and just being consistent and just creating content, you know, creating value for their audience and, and building their audience and, it's like, wow, there's something there absolutely that that I need to dig more into and see if I can follow that same path and go up there. Mm-hmm. It's really exciting to see how all these things are coming together. And so my passion for podcasting started like eight years ago. And I even started a podcast called Still Brewing It because my cousins and I would just talk about different ideas But we, like you said, it's not easy. There's a lot of moving parts Mm -hmm. and we were all in different States. You know, they were in California. I was in Colorado and it was just really hard to come bring all those things together. But now, now, and you mentioned, right. It's really hard to do a podcast on your own, like a solo podcast. Who's going to come listen to you Mm -hmm. unless you, I mean, you, you've already had a book out. So, you know, there's those followers coming in through and, um, So earlier last year, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do a podcast about hacks and hobbies because my friends would make fun of me or colleagues are like, Hey, so what's your new hobby this, this week? (laughs) I'm like, all right. So I was just getting into beekeeping, took a beekeeping class and I'm like, all right, I'm going to start documenting this process and let's see what happens. So one of my buddies, he's like, you should talk about queen bee. I'm like, sure, queen bee, right? Queen bees, you know, she lays eggs and well. I'm like, no, 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 Beyonce, like how's Beyonce <laughs> queen bee? <laughs> so that's my first episode on the podcast, talking about Beyonce where I have very limited knowledge over her,
2: <laughs> so that
0: was fun. So I did that for like at least six months. I just did a solo podcast and I'm talking about all the different things that I'm doing and all the things that bees are doing and getting to you know, beehives. And then I was like, you know what? There's so many connections. There's so many people that are circling them out and doing the same journey. Let me find out their story. Maybe I can improve and get better at doing what I'm trying to do. So that's where the interview series started. And, and I've been, I've talked to like 50 people so far and it's, it's just an ex- it's like this is the space I want to be in. Like, I why didn't I start talking to people <laughs> on radio like ten years ago? It's it's so amazing. Right. Mo-
1: yeah, you can like sense it. Mm-hmm.
0: So, tell me, what are some of the things that you like as a podcaster? How long you have been you've been podcasting, and and what are some some of the things that you do to like bring in more audience? Because that's something that every new podcaster is like, how do I get more listeners? <laughs> Right. Get more downloads.
1: Right. That's that's. I don't know how long I've been podcasting for. I counted sort of recently, and and I've been on or published like five or six hundred episodes. Wow. I've been. I started when I was still in tech doing a podcast called Niche with a Mm co-host, and that's still. I think those episodes are still live at niche n i t c h dot c c. Nice. And I think those go back. That's at least five years to 2013, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was really just like uh, a friend of mine and I geeking out about technology on a weekly basis. Oh man.
2: It's and my favorite thing to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was super fun. And I, I've, it was one of those podcasts that, that it was very much inspired by the Headspace podcast. I'm blanking on the name now, uh, Boag world. And those guys just kind of hang out and it felt like you're having coffee with friends and just sort of listen to it while I was sitting in the coffee shop working by, you know, with, not by myself, but with a yeah. room full of strangers. Yeah. And it felt very like, it felt kind of social or something. Mm-hmm. And that, it was just that style of podcast. And then from there, we, we sort of rebranded it as Future Tech and we started doing Terrifying Robot Dog, which is basically the same thing, but we focused on more, more like, You know the way that technology is changing the way we interact with the world. So things like VR and blockchain, and you know stuff that's a little bit more current, instead of just like, oh, how did Rails blow up in your face today? (laughs) That kind of thing. (laughs) So uh, and we still do that. We've I don't know done a couple hundred episodes of that.
0: Nice.
1: Ditching hourly, I think I have about seventy episodes. The business of authority. Uh, We we just recorded the seventy first episode. Yes. So, and I've guessed it on a hundred podcasts at least. Yeah. So, but your question was, what about building audience? And and it's, here's the thing, like there are all sorts of like tips and tricks and tactics that I've heard about over the years that supposedly will magic, not magically, but you know, supposedly if you put them all together, mm-hmm. will increase the number of listeners to the show, you know, like make sure you say subscribe or make sure at the end you, you know, yeah. ask people to read iTunes and all that stuff. Yeah. And I'm definitely not going to say that that stuff doesn't work,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it's not going to help you as much as focusing on delivering amazing content Absolutely. in the show itself Yeah, and making it really easy to share. But like by definition, podcasts are pretty easy to share. Mm-hmm. So I really, when well, my mailing list uh, and my you know, I have like a daily mailing list for, you know, about pricing for independent professionals Mm -hmm. and podcasts. I don't think about, I really don't think about growth hacks at all, ever. Yeah. And whenever I, I, in the past, I've done it from time to time, didn't do anything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it always boils down to the same thing. Make a better show. Make a better show. A better show. And people will like, Automatic. like if you make an amazing show or let's put it like this if you listen to an amazing episode what are you yeah. going to do with it
0: tell somebody else you're
1: gonna tell somebody else yeah. so just make an amazing show mm. and people are going to share it you know i don't uh, the stuff that i do is so niche i mean like price everybody's pricing everything but i, I you know like all day long you're dealing with prices yeah. but i i'm most you know i'm focused on i'm not focused on anything like pricing a lamp or can of soda I'm not like that kind of a pricing concern I'm like for service providers especially independent service providers who currently bill by the hour how can we ditch hourly how can we disconnect our time for money to actually leverage our expertise into profit and growth and you know it's very you know I'm never going to end up on like the tonight show or Joe Rogan you know it's like Mm -hmm. it's just not mass market enough no one right there's not like a a massive appeal so I'm never going to have a big audience yeah but I can have a huge audience, not, I'm not gonna have like a million subscribers, that's sure. ridiculous. But I could certainly have 10,000 or mm-hmm. even 100,000, I could see that. So I just concentrate on knowing, knowing who my audience, knowing who I, yes, Seth Good would say, who I uh, seek to serve. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, who do I seek to serve? Independent professionals who are billing by the hour and just like working so hard they can't get ahead. Yeah. Like, okay, those are my people and how do I help them? I just, so I just concentrate every time trying to give them actionable, specific tactical advice mixed in with big picture strategic advice to grow their business without hiring a bunch of junior employees and trying to like increase their hourly rate once a year
0: by 10%. That's really good. That's really good. I love that. Yeah. um, I'm a huge student of Seth Godin's and He's been coming on a lot of podcasts lately, podcasts and interviews. You know, just released a book. Yeah. And it's really interesting to see, like, he's almost always saying the same thing, but like, he'll delve into some of the stories. And like, it's just, it's like very refreshing to hear him. Mm -hmm. And uh, recently I discovered. My friend Fuad, he's on uh, the DYFC. um, Mm -hmm. And he was telling me that actually he talked to Nate, or he got an email through Nathan Berry, who's saying, Well, if you have 100 episodes recorded, Seth Godin might agree to come on the podcast. So I was like, Okay, (laughs) maybe (laughs) I get to talk to him one day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's been, uh, it's been, it's been inspiring, very inspiring, because like, he's been a freelancer for such a long time or an entrepreneur, and I'm like, okay, I want to I wanna get there. So I'm working a lot of different things and hopefully getting there faster than slower. So got to keep consistency and constantly posting new content, not just new, but valuable kind of like you mentioned, make a mm-hmm. really good show. And that reminded me of uh, an episode I heard yesterday. Uh, It's on Pop Psych 101. This is a podcast about uh, mental health in pop culture, Hmm. like how to use mental health in movies, TV shows, and and books. And this one specific episode was about the movie Inside Out and Uh talking about childhood depression. Right. And I was like, Whoa. <laughs>
1: yeah. And Yeah. I mean, it's wild. Like, the, the internet enables the, the, it sort of empowers, it empowers the wrong word, but it, it sort of, like, benefits the long-tail people. Yes. The Seth Godin idea, and Gary Vee talks about this, too, and, and uh, Clay Shirky. It's mm-hmm. like, it's so hard to conceive. Like, there's something like 4 billion people online. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's like 7 billion people on earth and something like, let's just say more than half of them are connected yeah. to the internet. Yeah. That's mind boggling. That if is you mind-boggling. Have, Right. You can't even like, like you could, you could blog about bees. I'm sure
2: mm-hmm. And if
1: you were genuine and cared and got into it, like you could make a nice living, just selling stuff to yeah. people who are into bees. Like my, my wife's super huge into knitting. She teaches knitting classes
2: mm-hmm.
1: and She'll sit there knitting mm-hmm. and like, we don't have TV. We haven't had TV in the longest time. We just sit there and watch like, she just sits there and knits and watch like uh YouTube mm-hmm. they call them podcasts. They're really YouTube channels of, yeah. uh, of uh, knitters just talking to the camera. Like, Oh, yeah. this is what I'm working on to do. And, and these people, they, they either dye yarn or they uh, put together kits or they write PDF patterns and they sell stuff in Shopify stores or through Ravelry, which is the social network for knitters. Mm-hmm. And, You know, they're like people who have huge, like, I shouldn't say huge, like, you know, not huge like Amazon, but Mm -hmm. they've really successful businesses. Yeah. Based on just like talking into a a terrible webcam. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's true. Like live streaming to YouTube while they're knitting something, like poor lighting and bad sound. And then they like spin up a Shopify store or sell a pattern on Ravelry and, you know, make $750,000. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's amazing. Like, like right now mm-hmm. is such a great time for people who care about something or yeah. really passionate about something because the internet enables you to like find the others as yes, they say. It's like it if does. you're, if, you know, but there's so much, obviously the, the flip side is there's so much noise that you need to be laser focused
0: laser focus yeah
1: to break breakthrough to to create some kind of critical mass i yeah. I, I talk about all the time i use the analogy of like like if you put a little bit of like tinder or kindling or uh, something like that on the ground like small pieces of paper and bark and thin strips of bark and wood and twigs, mm-hmm. you could leave that in the sun all day long and it's never going to catch on fire
2: yeah
1: it's not going to catch on fire but if you take a magnifying glass and you focus oh. the called the attention of the sun, mm-hmm. you can start that. You're never going to start a big log,
2: Yeah.
1: you know, and the, wo- the wood represents people. Mm-hmm. So if you have if you really like this little pile of, of, of twigs, you could start that on fire with a magnifying glass. Yeah. So you just create this tight, tight, tight focus on this small, small, small group of people, this tiny bit of fuel,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then boom, catches on fire starts to become a little bit self sustaining. But whoa, you're running out of, you know, you need more fuel. Put more fuel in there. A little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Now you've got this, you know, you start to get like a nice fire going. Wow. You don't have to use a magnifying glass anymore. Anymore, no. Yeah. You can sort of you can sort of like get a little less focused. Yeah. But but continue to serve this audience because now you've got this audience. And it's like, oh now I don't have to constantly be rubbing sticks together and using this no. magnifying glass. That's I, I can just like make this I like this community is, is going, it's like Mm -hmm. self-sustaining. It's going to burn out if you don't keep defeat, you know, keep feeding it, but get more, more fuel and keep putting it in there. And, uh, it's, it's just amazing. It's a little bit, it's a little bit scary to imagine like what would happen if, if, um, you know, email or, you know, decentralized or RSS decentralized or just being able to like anybody can put up a website. Yeah a little bit scary to imagine that going away because
0: it is yeah
1: it would be not i'm not saying it would go away but a lot of people doom and gloom talk about you know Mm -hmm. censorship and net neutrality and uh sort of balkanization of the internet and chopping it up and regulating it it's like very scary because right now it's like the most amazing opportunity
0: that's true but i love that analogy i'd never thought it that way like that was an amazing analogy i could Definitely share it with my friends. I'm like, dude, you just got a light of fire. Yep, you just got Just got to have the spark. The one example I that I would mention, like in this niche market, like there's a YouTube channel called Ants Canada. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember watching them like two years or last maybe six months ago. They had 670 thousand subscribers. <laughs> it's about ants. Just about ants in ant farms indoors and this guy's talking about ants and he's there's they've got multiple colonies and i checked on it recently last month i think it was like 2.7 million subscribers yeah it's unreal it's unreal so it's great it's 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 perfect yeah when i talk to people
1: when i talk to like a new student because i do this private coaching with Mm -hmm. people and and the, there's a there's an application form because it doesn't it's not a good fit for everybody. In fact, it's not a good fit for almost anybody. Yeah. But when people are ready, I can tell because in the in the application form, mm-hmm. one of the questions is, uh, "What are your passions outside of work?" Mostly, I work with software developers. Yeah. So if they say in there, if they say, "Oh, I just love coding," I'm mm-hmm. like, "Person's not." probably not ready like I'll I'll have a phone call with them and kind of drill into it but if they just love coding they're not ready for what I'm going to do with them Mm -hmm. because they need I mean unless they're going to sell to other coders that's a separate thing but like usually what they're doing with me is like trying to to sell to bigger bigger clients because Mm -hmm. clients have stand to benefit more from your expertise and therefore we can set your prices higher and build more profits into your business anyway the point is like I get on the phone with people and one of the things I like to do is find some sort of, I, I want to make that little pile, that little pile of Tinder. I mm-hmm. want to make that little pile of kindling. And that's the first group, the early adopters, like the, yeah. the core of the audience. Like who are those people? And they're like, I don't know, I could do this for anybody. And I'm like, I know you can do it for anybody.
2: Yeah. Who
1: do you want to help? Like you're going to spend all of this time of your you know adult life, spending all these working hours helping somebody and they're like I don't know, I could help anybody. I'm like, "Oh, well, would you help them, you know, would you help a serial killer?" No, I wouldn't help. Them. Well, would you help a whatever? And you can list off all these people who they wouldn't help and all of a sudden yeah. like, so who so you can list these people who you don't want to help, but who do you want to help? Yeah. And if they can't come up with an answer to that question, it makes it so hard. Yeah. to start out. So like, you know, like this YouTube channel you mentioned, Ants Canada, those are those are ant people. <laughs> anybody into ants? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it makes it really easy to, uh, like the word passion is thrown thrown around a lot and Mm
2: -hmm. and got
1: some bad connotations. But if you are, let's just say really excited about something, like something that you're going to be researching anyway, like a hobby, let's say, Mm
0: -hmm. wouldn't it be cool
1: if you could do your hobby like full time or as much as you wanted Exactly. figure out a way to fund that? It's not like, it's not like, I don't think of it like let's go out and do sales and always be closing and get money from them, and money from that person and get money from that guy. Mm -hmm. It's not like that at all. It's
0: not like that. Mm -hmm.
1: No, it's like, you've got this mission. You want to further, like, you know, like the bees are disappearing. What are we going to do about this? I'm scared about this. I want to research. I want to figure out what to do. And why are these colonies collapsing? Is it, is it cell phone? Is it 5g? Like, what is it? Yeah. And like, let's just say you were super excited about studying that or finding out more about that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: What if you could figure a way to fund that? in a way that would attract more, you know, attract more people to the cause, increase awareness of the issue, do all the things, and then kind of self-sustain. That's, it's, that's what's so great right now with, I mean, YouTube's Mm -hmm. not, I mean, it's not platform independent, so to speak, but it's pretty free. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's, you know, I was listening to a Ted talk. I'm not going to be able to remember the guy's name, but he's kind of like the mushroom guy
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and he, he, genuinely clearly believes that mushrooms are like the solution to a vast majority of human problems, big problems. Wow. Interesting. And he, he believes that they're sentient. (laughs) I mean, like the guy is like so into it (laughs) and, uh, and, but he's got, he's like, I I don't know if he's a doctor or not, but he's super scientific Mm -hmm. and he makes credible arguments and he's super into mushrooms. He's just really into mushrooms and he, he sells like mushroom supplements and, maybe they do something, maybe they don't, but it gives people who love this guy. Cause he's a yeah. total character. Mm-hmm. gives people who love this guy, a way to fund him. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I bought like mushroom pills off this guy. Mm-hmm. Just I don't, I don't think they do anything. I don't know. Maybe they do. Yeah. But Who cares? I want to give this guy 40 bucks. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so, you know, I, when I hear somebody like there was a, there's sort of a, a trend going around maybe a year or two ago and, Maybe it's still going on, I just don't hear it anymore, but mm-hmm. sort of like famous youtubers who have to work at like a sandwich shop during the day' yes. to like I'm like come on, <laughs> if you can't figure out how to take ten million people
2: mm-hmm.
1: make a living off of that yeah you're not you're only you're not focusing on the right things like yeah like my kids there's like my I've got little kids mm. and they're really into like minecraft videos and yeah like that and there are plenty of ways besides, you know, advertising on YouTube that you could, you could make a very comfortable living, yeah. you know, like just recording uh happy birthday messages for kids. Well, like I would pay 500 bucks for Dan TDM to say happy birthday to my daughter. Yeah. No question. Mm-hmm. Like you're just not, if, if you've got a huge audience like that and you can't figure out how to, to uh,
0: monetize
1: a, it so you can keep doing it. You're just yeah. not thinking very
0: hard. Wow. No, you, that's that's so true. And and the more I look into it, the more people I find that are doing the same thing that they're passionate about, that they're excited about, and they've made it a living. I mean, you'll see there's a lot of coaches.
2: There's, mm-hmm. there's yeah. a
0: huge amount of coaches that I've seen and I'm connecting to and they're speakers. And it's like a whole new world has opened in front of me. And I'm like, wow. Where it, where was this all my life, right? It's <laughs> it's been pretty it's been pretty eye opening and exciting at the same time, and uh, wow, cool man. This was this was a really mind opening call. I loved it.
1: Um, awesome.
0: So at this point of the of the conversation, we'll just have a few questions. Mm-hmm. What is one hobby that you wish you got into? Uh, I never
1: learned how to swim, which, <laughs> no way. I don't know if you'd call that a hobby, but it has definitely been annoying my mm-hmm. entire life. That's definitely one. But I've spent most of my life pursuing my hobbies. Yeah. So I haven't had, you know, I did music for a long, long time, mm-hmm. uh, Dungeons and Dragons, martial arts. Um, nice. Yeah. I've, I've done, I've, I've actually spent a lot of time pursuing hobbies because my, Dad, credit to him. Always said, you know, do what you love and the money will follow. And yeah. that's certainly been true for me. Nice. But yeah, learning how to swim would have been nice.
0: Very cool. Next question. What is your favorite movie or TV show? And if none, how about a book?
1: Oh wow. People have asked me this question before, so I know my answer to the movie question is Caddyshack because I've thought okay. about it a lot.
2: <laughs>
0: if
1: I had those- Trapped on a desert Island with one movie, it would be Caddyshack.
0: Caddyshack. All right.
1: It's kind of embarrassing because it's a silly <laughs> movie, but it really stands the test of time. And it makes me laugh every single time.
0: Nice. I'll have to check it out. Um, uh, maybe I've already seen it. I, I can't remember.
1: Yeah. It's, it's 70s era comedy. Very. It makes no sense. It's totally senseless, but uh, it just makes me laugh every time. But I mean, so many books, so many. It's it's hard to pick one. I'm a huge fan of the Harry Potter series. We read it. The kids love it. There's a million. I I, I could go all day. But if I had to pick a movie, it'd be Caddyshack.
0: Nice. Well, you've got a really good cast in it with Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Cindy Morgan, and Rodney Dangerfield. I mean, you can't go wrong.
1: Ted Knight. It's it's a riot. Yeah. If I was going to say a TV show, people, if people haven't checked out the expanse, if you're into sci-fi, the expanse mm-hmm. books and TV show are all fantastic. It
0: is. It's been, it's been an, ex, an experience in itself. I've been, uh, I've been watching the expanse as well. And it's, it's been pretty exciting. Just like, Oh, what's next? Mm-hmm. How'd they do that? Okay. What is your favorite superhero? Oh man, favorite superhero
1: when I was a kid, it was, would have been Spider-Man. Okay. Mostly because, I like Batman never did it for me. I'm like, that's just a dude.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: superpowers. That's just a guy with a bunch of money. Yeah. And Superman is just too over-the-top goody-two-shoes for me. So Spider-Man was just dark enough, and he could do, I mean, the idea of swinging around a city, and like, yeah. I just love that. So I guess I'd have to say Spider-Man.
0: Nice, nice. See, see, I've gotten that answer different ways. Like some people like, oh, I like Batman because he's just a guy and anybody can be Batman with enough money. I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> so yeah, very good answer. Thanks. If you were a board game, what would it be? Oof. A board game. Risk. Risk. Nice. That's a risky game. Are you sure you don't say that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think about like a, a lot of uh, a lot of freelancers and billing by the hour. Not to pull it back to that, but
0: mm-hmm. That's fine. Uh,
1: the reason that people are most reluctant to give up the security blanket of hourly billing is that it increases the amount of risk they have to take on. And I like to point out to people that yeah. risk is what. You know, risk is where profits come from, risk Mm -hmm. reward. Like, if you don't take risks, you are going to have razor thin margins. And that's the experience of most people after a few years of billing by the hour. They're like, why am I working harder? And it feels like I'm making less money. Yeah. So, risk is the one that popped to mind. Plus, I I played risk a lot. It was a fun game. Yeah.
0: Awesome. That was good. That was really good. Okay. So, where can my audience find you? And,
1: Yeah, best place to go would be valuepricingbootcamp.com. You mentioned it earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is a a short daily uh, mailing list sequence Mm -hmm. that kind of talks about the core principles of value pricing and uh, compares it to hourly billing if that's something that you do. Mm -hmm. And um, you can reply to those emails they go straight to my inbox and you can start a conversation with me in that way.
0: Fantastic. Well, Jonathan, that's it's been really awesome talking with you. And this was a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Cool. Thanks for having me, Janette. Thanks so much.